Hello, I'm Jesse Wolves from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is John 12, 12 to 19. So you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. After the reading of the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. And then we'll go to the sermon. Now let's read John 12, 12 to 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are getting nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And now it's over to the children's talk. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here this morning. Now, who's our friend here that we've been meeting the last few weeks? Albert. Albert the Blue Duck. Absolutely right. Now, Albert has been learning from the book of John, hasn't he? Do you remember what Albert has been learning? What does John want us to know? That's right. John, the book of John, wants us to know and believe that Jesus is the king. And we've seen over the last few weeks that Jesus is king over sickness. He's king over death. He's the king that was promised in the Old Testament. He was the Christ, the Messiah. Okay. Now, our friend Albert has had an exciting week this week because... His Aunt Petunia has come back from overseas. All right, Aunt Petunia is his favourite auntie. All right, absolutely best friends. But Petunia has been overseas. She's been living in Paris for a whole year. And she finally came back home. And how do you think Albert felt about that? Really, 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 really happy. Absolutely. Tired. You think Albert felt tired? I think Petunia probably felt tired. Yep. He was very excited. And, you know, Albert was so excited that he made big plans for when Aunt Petunia came home. All right. He got his whole family together and they all went to the airport. All right, they had balloons and streamers. They waved them around, so excited when they saw Aunt Petunia coming through the gates at last. All right, they even 
wrote her a song. Okay, do you want to hear it? It's it's quality. (laughs) Thanks for that. Goes, welcome, welcome, welcome home, welcome, welcome, welcome home, welcome, welcome, welcome home, welcome home, Aunt Petunia. All right? Quality music. All right, Albert was so excited to welcome Aunt Petunia back into the country. Now, in our Bible reading today, were any of you listening? Somebody came into town and lots of people came out to meet him and they were very excited. It was Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus came into the city. Who can remember what the city's name was? Jerusalem. That's right. Jesus came into Jerusalem. And we know that John has been teaching us to know and believe that Jesus is the king. And finally, when we get to this passage of the Bible in John chapter 12, we can finally see that Jesus is being treated as the king that he really is. Finally, he comes into town and the crowds gather. They're so excited that this guy, who is the king of sickness and death and all the people, he is the king that has been promised long, long ago. He is finally here. And do you know what they do? That's right, they wave palm branches in the air, a bit like waving balloons. All right. They put their coats on the ground in front of him, although that's not actually in the, the Bible passage that we read today. Another another book of the Bible tells us that. All right. And they sing songs. They yell out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, the king, the king is here at last. All right. Just like Albert was excited to meet Aunt Petunia, finally the crowds of, of Jerusalem we're excited to meet their king. All right. Now we're going to see if that lasts in the next few weeks. But right now they recognize Jesus and they're excited to greet him as the king. And that's good news. All right. It's my prayer that you guys would know that Jesus is the king, just like it is John's. Okay. I hope that you know and believe that Jesus is the King. All right, let's say a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you that you promised him from many years before and that he finally came and you kept your word. Thank you that he is the King, that he's not only the King of the people in the Old Testament, he's not only the King of people in Jerusalem, He's not only the king of sick people and dead people, but he is the king of me and you. Father, please help us to love Jesus and trust him, to know and believe that he is the king. Amen. Let's come in prayer, uh, praying that our, uh, our God, by his spirit, would help us to understand these words. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we know that the things that are written in your word 
uh, spiritual things, to be spiritually discerned, that we need your spirit at work in our minds and in our hearts to receive them. The natural man cannot discern what they are saying, and so we pray, our God, that you would be working in us, in all of us, that we would truly understand, and not just know with our heads, but that we would believe with our hearts that Jesus is King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many in the West have abandoned the idea that authority is a good thing. At best, authority is a necessary evil to transform society into their vision of utopia. And it's not just that, that it's the people in leadership who should be rejected and scorned, but even the very idea of, of morality and a morality which is objectively true, true no matter how we feel about it, even that has to go because that restricts us and we don't like that. We see that when we think of the sexual revolution. All of a sudden, the idea of marital love was jettisoned. There was a mass movement away from what was seen as the straitjacket of historic uh, biblical sexual ethics. It was seen as prudish, restrictive, unnecessary. People should be free to do whatever they want as long as they don't hurt others. But in this world of free love where the social rules have been cast aside, what do we find? Are people happier? No. People are confused, more confused and more anxious about romantic relationships because now there's no norms and so they don't know what's expected, what's expected of them, what should they expect from others. What does a date look like? What's everyone else doing? And when are they doing it? And, and if sex is just this physical activity, why does it leave me feeling used and abused? And that's just one example. We could talk about gender, abortion, euthanasia. We could talk about our work, social media, spending habits, our treatment of others. So we keep fighting against biblical norms and expectations. Our world doesn't like restrictions, doesn't like authority, and so true joy and meaning are out of their grasp. See, we need a king, someone who can solve the problem of having over 7 billion rebels, each with a crown on their own heads, as they do battle against one another. We need a king who knows us, who loves us, who made us, and who knows the best way for us to live. And that king has come. And the question is, will you welcome him? Verses 12 to 16 in our passage introduce us to people who do welcome their king. And we're encouraged in these verses, our our first heading, welcome your king who saves. Verse 12, 
The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, last week, at the end of chapter 11, the crowd, as they're coming into Jerusalem, were wondering whether Jesus was going to come to the feast. Because everyone knew that trouble was brewing. The religious leaders had decided to put Jesus to death. These leaders, they were worried that everyone was going to follow Jesus And so there would be a rebellion against Rome, and then Rome would come in and destroy them. And so Caiaphas, the high priest, said that it's better for Jesus to die for the people instead of the people die. That it's better that Jesus die now rather than everyone die later. And it just so happens that this tension, all this tension, has reached fever pitch as Passover was approaching. The original Passover was about 1,500 years earlier. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and through Moses, God had told Pharaoh to let his people go. And he sent plagues against Pharaoh and against Egypt when Pharaoh refused. And finally, God sent the hardest plague of all, the death of the firstborn. But even in the midst of of Egypt's mourning, Israel could celebrate because their firstborn had been saved. A lamb had died instead of their children. And here's Jesus coming to Jerusalem when the leaders are after him, coming at the time of Passover. And we're meant to be picking up the clues, especially as we remember way back to chapter 1 of John, where John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus walking by, pointed him out and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John's Gospel, we're heading towards the death of Jesus. And like the original Passover, his death would save others. There's an episode of The Crown which demonstrates the impact that our expectations can have. Margaret Thatcher, the Prime Minister of Britain, was invited with her husband to Balmoral Castle. And she was expecting pomp and glitz and glamour. This was the royal family after all. And she was utterly humiliated and embarrassed to come downstairs in a formal dress to meet the royal family for dinner, only to have them lounging around in casual, normal clothes. It wasn't the scheduled time for dinner, and so they weren't in their proper dinner wear. But as they came in, they decided, well, we'd better get changed as well to make them feel more at ease. So they went up and they got changed. And the next day, everyone went hunting. But Thatcher's shoes weren't right for that, walking through all that mud. And her clothes were all wrong, not natural colours, green and brown, but brighter colours. And in her in her humiliation and in her frustration, she dismissed the royal family. They went in the mud and they played silly games together in the evening. They weren't acting the way that she thought they should. 
What were these crowds expecting as Jesus came? Verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now at this time, palm branches are symbols of victory. And then they start shouting out lines from Psalm 118. Now, Hosanna means save. It was originally a a prayer, but by the first century, it was probably more like a shout of praise. But listen to Psalm 118, verses 25 to 26. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this psalm, when you read all of it, tells us what their expectations are. Psalm 118 speaks of God being their strength and song, their salvation. The nations surrounding them are cut off. See, this crowd are expecting a warrior king, that he'll gather an army and Israel will win their independence again, just like they had against the Greeks. That's the salvation that they're looking for. But what's Jesus riding on? On a war horse? A donkey. Verse 14. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That's a quote from Zechariah 9.9. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, he's not the king who's going to war. He's a humble king who will bring peace. And he'll bring that peace by his death as the king dies for his people. The king is the ultimate Passover lamb. His blood frees his subjects from the slavery of their sin, from the judgment which God himself will bring to all who sin against him. John wants us to know and believe Jesus is king. And he's the humble king who dies for his people. And the question becomes, who would you rather follow? We want to deny it, But we all follow something. We all have a king. We think we're free, but someone or something always constrains us. Who or what are you living for? Is it your own enjoyment, your own comfort? Do you live for the next holiday? If that's what you're chasing after, well, that's your king. And it's enslaved you. I imagine, I imagine it's, it's, it enters your mind regularly. You're always checking for the best deals. It's, it's what you're sacrificing for, you're working for, you're saving for instead of using that money to buy other things or to be generous in particular ways. Maybe living for your own comfort and your own dreams has led to an abortion. See, otherwise you would need to give up on your study or your work. But that so-called freedom has either made your heart calloused and uncaring 
or it's completely broken you. I saw a video the other day of a woman who had had abortion, who had had an abortion, and who felt terrible about it. She said in that video that she wakes up and she just hates herself every day. What rules you? The desire for money? Status? Entertainment? Pleasure? What does, what, what your desire is, is what rules you. And if you're not following Jesus, Paul says later on that that means that you're actually following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. See, ultimately, it's either Jesus or the devil. And there's only one of them who loves you and has given his life for you. Only one of them can give you true freedom. And so will you welcome your king who saves, who can save you from yourself, from your desires and the loves which enslave you, who can save you from the devil, who can save you from God, who is angry at those who would prefer to chase after those things which only last the blink of an eye, who would prefer to run after those things that then receive his love. The crowd thought Jesus was coming as a warrior to uproot all their enemies. But they didn't understand that he had come to deal with their ultimate enemy. He had come to deal with the root of all the problems which were hurting his people. Their sin, their rejection, their rebellion against God. And to do that, he came to die. There's coming a day when Jesus will return. And it will be like these crowds in John 12 expected. He will come as a warrior, destroying all those who stand against God and his people. He will come and make the world right. Which means, kids, kids, as you watch the news at night, or maybe as you hear bits and pieces about what's going on in the world, it means that you don't need to panic. You don't need to be worried. Yes, scary things happen in our world. People do bad things. And sometimes bad things happen to people, but no one's actually responsible for that. It might be a flood or some other natural disaster. And sometimes the scary things aren't what's happening to other people out there, but it's what's happening to you. You might be scared that something bad will happen. Someone you love might get really sick. You might need to move school. It might feel as though life is completely out of control. But through it all, kids, you can remember that Jesus is coming. John wants us to know and believe that Jesus is king. And when he came the first time, he dealt with our biggest problem, our sin. And when he comes this time, the whole world is going to be completely fixed, better than ever, with nothing scary. And we'll get to be with him forever. And so be like the crowds who welcomed Jesus.
and welcome your king. Believe in him and love him. And remember, Jesus is king even now. He sits on the throne now. And he's so in control. He is so loving that he is using everything that happens, even the scary things, even the things you don't like. Jesus is using those things for your good. Even the really hard things. Because he is a good king. And so trust him. Welcome him. Welcome your king. And I don't think that's a message just for the kids, is it? That's something we all need to hear. Welcome your king because he's the one who saves. And in our second heading, verses 17 to 19, we're to call others to welcome their king. In verse 17, we find out why this crowd has come out to meet Jesus, cutting down palm branches and laying them on the ground and and shouting out in in expectation, in joy, in, in praise. It's because there's this whole group of people who couldn't stop talking about a funeral. That's pretty odd. Conversations about funerals are usually pretty short. Generally, if you're chatting to someone who's been to a funeral and you ask, how was it? They'll say something like, it was fine. If it was a Christian funeral, they might mention the hymns and whether they thought the minister did a good job in talking about Jesus and giving hope. Usually, the maximum amount of time that you're going to talk about a funeral is five minutes. But this funeral had a crowd of people talking to everyone in Jerusalem because they couldn't get over what had happened. It's not that the minister had done such an amazing job speaking about the hope we have in the face of death. It's that after the funeral was finished and the body had been in the tomb four days, they saw the dead person walking around, body completely restored, repaired, no sign of decay. Verses 17 and 18, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. See, that crowd had done exactly what the Samaritan woman had done way back in chapter 4. They simply said what they knew, what they had experienced, what they saw. They told people who Jesus was. Do you feel able to do that? Is it scary talking to people about Jesus and calling them to welcome their king? Is it scary to tell them that Jesus is sitting on the throne of heaven even now? I know it's tempting to be scared. But if Jesus is our king, and if he really did tell us to go and make disciples of all the nations, and if he is really the king who holds his sheep in his hands and that no one can take them out, well, why are we afraid? There's no doubt that people won't like it. I'm not downplaying that reality. I've experienced it. It's here in the passage. The Pharisees are grumbling about all this attention that Jesus is getting in verse 19, knowing that they need 
to put Jesus to death as soon as possible. And as we read the story, as we go on through John, we'll see Jesus arrested and beaten and put on a cross and die. There's no downplaying the threat of persecution and hatred that Jesus' followers will face. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're one of his disciples, you know what kind of a king he is. You know that when it says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench, that it's true. He is a kind king, and he has shown his kindness in going to Jerusalem deliberately to be the true Passover sacrifice, to die for his people. So we could be freed from the slavery of, of our sin, which has lied to us. Which, our sin, which says that, that we can be in charge. We can do whatever we want. Our sin, which instead makes us a slave to our desires. Living for what can never satisfy, no matter how much effort or money or time we put into it. You know if you've welcomed Jesus as your king, that living for him is what life is all about. You have reason to rejoice, to shout, Hosanna, because you have been saved and you know that he is on the throne right now watching over you. That you can trust him in the hard times because he is working everything together for your good, that you would be more like him. The people around us are enslaved by their desires, whether it's their desire for money, leisure, pleasure, status, sex, comfort, peace, family, harmony. Their whole lives are dominated by that desire, but they will never be satisfied. Not completely. If they get what they want, they'll always need another fix. They'll need to keep working hard to get what they want. But you see, we serve the king who worked for us, who offers us freedom. Not because we earn it, but because he did for us. Because we were guilty, we hadn't lived for him, hadn't loved him like we should. Because we deserved death, but he took that death for us. But as this crowd welcomes Jesus as their king, we also need to remember that Jesus doesn't become king when we welcome him. See, sometimes people will say, make Jesus your king, as they're urging people to become a Christian. But Jesus is always king. Jesus is king of everyone, even when they don't acknowledge him or love him. See, Jesus right now is the king of the atheist and of the Muslim. He is the king of the highly religious good person and the highly secular antagonistic person. He's the king of Daniel Andrews. He is the king of Pope Francis. Our responsibility is to tell people of the one who is already king to tell them what the king has done, 
to warn them that they're facing the king's judgment, but that he offers forgiveness. And one day he'll return, and those who love him will sing, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. But for those who haven't prepared him room, it won't be joy that they'll have, but fear at his anger. Their sin hasn't been paid for. Someone must be judged for their sin, and it'll either have been Jesus at the cross, or it'll be them. This crowd went out to Jesus because they had heard the sign he had performed by raising Lazarus from the dead. We have an even greater message. He died. Jesus died for sinners. And he was raised to life again. But even better than Lazarus was his resurrection. Lazarus rose to die again. Jesus never would die again. Jesus is now alive. He is the ever-living king. And so welcome him. Welcome your king who saves and call others to welcome their king because all who come to him will find eternal life and eternal joy. Welcome your king. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we rejoice that Jesus has come, that he indeed is King of kings and Lord of lords. In him we have freedom. We pray, our God, we pray that we would welcome him, that we would love him, that we would serve him, that we would tell others about him. Lord, may we constantly know and never forget that Jesus is King. Lord, for any here who do not know you, who have not received him as their King, we pray that they would. Our God, show yourself to be King to them. May your Spirit be at work in all of us, even now, to rejoice in him and to cry out in song. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.